It is good to see you all on this February the 14th, otherwise known as Valentine's Day. I hope and pray that this uh, day has been a day of joy for you, a day of worship as we've gathered to worship today. Um, If you are celebrating today and heading out to a restaurant this evening, best of luck to you. We will pray for you on your behalf. Um, Good luck getting through all that crowd. That was... uh, Interesting, I was out yesterday as a dad giving time to my wife at home so she could get some things to do, get things done, and taking the children out, took the girls out, spent some time with them, and I was amazed at, first of all, the amount of places that sell flowers. That was unbelievable, um, just how many different types of flowers you could buy, but secondly, how many folks were out and about and doing some last-minute Valentine shopping. So anyway, if you know nothing of that, then praise God, you are blessed uh, stay clear of it uh, for the rest of you. Again, you're in my prayers as you move through your day today. Well, anyway, we are back in our study of Second uh, Timothy today. We find ourselves in our final chapter of Second Timothy here in Second Timothy chapter four, where uh, this week and next week we will actually begin to wrap up our series that we've called Letters from the pastor, and I hope that this series has been one that has been encouraging for you and edifying for you as we have walked together uh, through uh, 1 Timothy, through 2 Timothy, and then also through Titus as well. So let's just go back and get back into our text today here in 2 Timothy chapter 4. We're going to pick up exactly where we last left off in Paul's letter to Timothy and to the church at Ephesus. Now, before we even begin reading in verse 1, we can already know that Paul is now in his final days. And we know that we are now reading what ultimately would become Paul's final words. Now, Paul clearly knew this as well, and so he would obviously choose carefully what it was that he should focus on in order to end this particular letter. So as you're reading 2 Timothy chapter 4, particularly our verses today, I want you to think in your mind that if you knew you were living in your final days, or you knew that you were living in your final moments, how would you choose to spend those moments, what would you say and who would you say them to? Well, this is exactly where we find Paul today in our reading. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, I would encourage you to turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 4. We will begin reading in verse 1, and once you have found your place and you can and you're able, I would invite you to stand in honor of the reading of the Word of God. Now again, these are Paul's words to the church at Ephesus. Paul's words specifically to Timothy, Timothy being the young pastor, Paul writes in 2 Timothy chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. But as for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry." For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. 
I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Let's pray together. Father God, we come before you right now thanking you for this day, and we thank you for the opportunity that we've already had to worship you in song Father, we praise you for the opportunity we've had to worship you in the reading of your word. And Father, we pray now that in these next few moments as we take time to study your word, Lord, we ask that you and you alone would be glorified. Father, we thank you for your truth. We thank you for the call that we see, the charge that we see within your word. So Father, I pray that you would give us eyes to see, give us ears to hear, Father, may we live out the calling that you've placed upon each of us. Lord, again, we thank you for your truth, your word that is timeless. And Father, we pray together that in these next few moments, may you and you alone be glorified. Jesus, we love you, we thank you, we praise you. And it's in your precious and holy name. Thank you, you can be seated. Now, Paul has already laid out a high view of the Bible. We've already seen this back in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verses 14 through 17. And because of this high view in particular of the Bible, it should now lead us to have a high view of biblical preaching and also biblical teaching, which we will now see in our text today. So Paul is going to give us the main point fairly quickly in our text, which is found in verse two in a very simple statement that reads, preach the word. So you see, by Paul's own admission, we as believers in Christ today should not only see, but also know and understand the call that is now upon our lives as a faith family in order to preach the gospel. Now, many pastors before would look upon this passage and use this as an opportunity to kind of rebel rouse and rah-rah their, their congregation into going out and being faithful preachers and proclaimers of the word. I want you to hear that message today, but at the same time, I want us to really dig into what it is that Paul is communicating here in his final moments. I want us to begin to see and understand the tension and the passion and the, the heart that Paul has for preaching the word today. You see, in verse one and two, Paul opens by saying that the word of God should be preached faithfully. In other words, the, the proper motive for any pastor or teacher should be a desire for faithfulness to God and, and not necessarily worldly fame. In other words, being a pastor of a church or being an elder of a church or being a faithful teacher and a faithful leader in the church is not a position that you simply go into if you are seeking some sort of fame or some sort of fortune. You see, as pastors, and I've seen this happen too often in our seminaries, whether it's pastors who go off the seminary or pastors who do seminary remotely, too many of them are going into ministry not because of a call that is placed upon their life, but rather because of what they believe is going to be the ease of the ministry that God has called them to. Well, I want you to know that whether you've been a pastor or an elder, whether you've been a deacon, whether you've been a teacher in this church, a leader in this church, there is nothing easy about the call to preach the gospel. 
Now, I want us to pay attention to this point as Paul's now going to set up his exhortation in verse one. You see, nowhere else in scripture does Paul give us this type of opening to a particular charge. So if you look again at verse one, read his own words. He says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing and his kingdom. Let's pause there for a moment because Paul, by his own admission, Paul, by his own words, now reminds Timothy to remember that he preaches and he teaches in the presence of God. In other words, no preacher of the word, no teacher of the word goes unnoticed. There is no pastor of a church, no elder of a church, no leader of a church that is ever out of or beyond the very eyes of God. So knowing these words, these words should give us a proper perspective of our task. You see, when it comes to worship, when it comes to the proclamation of the word of God, when it comes to the teaching of the word of God, or even in our day-to-day lives, when it comes to ourselves proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ, our audience, first and foremost, when we gather for worship, is God. It should always be God. You see, too many churches right now are focused on the wrong thing. They gather for church not to worship God. They gather for church in order to gather a community. That's what the YMCA does. That is not the place for the church. You see, our sole purpose for gathering is so that people from all walks of life, from all socioeconomic backgrounds, with all different hurts and heartaches and and trials and tribulations and even victories and challenges that have been overcome, all people come together with different perspectives for one singular purpose, and that is to glorify the God who has put them on the providential plan that they are now on, and these people now realize that they gather for worship for the glory of God because of what Christ Christ Jesus has now done in their lives. So you see, there has to be a proper perspective to what it is that we teach. You see, as pastors and elders, as teachers and leaders, there is no guarantee of fame. There is no guarantee of fortune. There is no guarantee of popularity. And the reality is this should never bother anyone who preaches the word or teaches the word. You see, recognition is something that we should not be seeking for ourselves. Rather, our ultimate call is faithfulness to God and God alone. So as a teacher of the word, our ultimate evaluation is not from people, but rather it is from God himself. So we have to ask ourselves, is God pleased with our treatment of his word? Is God pleased with our motives when we proclaim his word? You see, we live in a day and a time where we now need more than ever more faithful preachers and teachers who correctly handle the word of God for the pleasure of God and the glory of God. As the prophet Jeremiah notes in Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 28, in God speaking through Jeremiah, he says, let the prophet who has a dream tell the dream, but let him who has my word speak my word faithfully. So for us today, as people of the book, we should correctly handle the book, the word of God faithfully. 
And so when we come back to our text today in 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul now reminds Timothy not only of the call of being a faithful preacher of the Bible, but now he reminds Timothy of the coming of Christ. And he does this through three words that should give us three images. The words are appearing and judgment and kingdom. You see, Paul believed that Jesus Christ would make a visible and glorious appearance. And when Jesus appears, he alone will be the one who judges the living and the dead and it will be Christ Jesus who will then usher in his kingdom in its fullness so as preachers of the word as teachers of the word we must teach in light of this holy accountability that one day Jesus will come again You see, we would be wise to pay attention to James' words as he warns us in James chapter three, verse one, when he says, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. You see, both Paul and James warned that because of Christ and because of his coming kingdom, that judgment will come as well. So as preachers of the word, as teachers of the words, as proclaimers of the words, we need to make sure that we handle the word of God well. In other words, this is not a moment where you can simply shoot from the hip when it comes from knowing the word. Rather, you need to know the word of God as if it were your own weapon. We get into verse two and Paul now tells us that and tells Timothy that we are now called to preach the word. Now the word preach that we have here actually means to herald the word or to proclaim publicly. In other words, we are called to proclaim the entirety of the written word of God. So as Christians, we now have the holy privilege and responsibility of heralding God's timeless truth. You see, like Ezra in Ezra chapter 7 and Nehemiah chapter 8, because we are called upon to herald the truth of God, we also now need to study the word of God. We need to obey the word of God. And then and only then can we faithfully teach the word of God. You see, Paul has already given Timothy this same charge back in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 13, when he tells Timothy to give attention to public reading and exhortation and teaching. In other words, here is the call to be faithful in the proclamation of the word of God. Again, it's not about us. It's about Jesus Christ and the good news of the gospel. Now, I love what Martin Luther has to say when speaking to this point, in particular, speaking about the Reformation itself. He states, I simply taught, preached, and wrote God's words. Otherwise, I did nothing. I did nothing. The word of God did it all. I did nothing. I left it to the word of God. You see, when we preach, when we teach the word faithfully, the word of God itself will do the work. Timothy is now charged in verse two to preach consistently. Notice that Paul says of Timothy to be ready in season and out of season. In other words, Paul is now telling Timothy, when you speak the word of God, when you herald the word of God, do so with urgency and readiness. You see, as proclaimers of the gospel, we are now always on active duty. 
You see, when we are teaching, we need to recognize that when we teach the word of God, we are now teaching on matters of life and on matters of death and on eternity. So like Timothy, our ministry should be known for our readiness to proclaim the gospel and not our laziness. So again, as believers, heralds of the book, what are we known for? What is the church known for today? If found in a moment to proclaim the gospel, the question we have to ask ourselves now is, are we ready for that moment? You see, we need to realize that God's word is powerful enough to change the hearts of people in all places and at all times. We are simply called to preach the word consistently. Now, when I think about faithful teaching and preaching of the word, I'm quickly reminded of an experience I had very early on in ministry. You see, at a church where I was an associate pastor, I had the opportunity to lead multiple trips to an incredibly beautiful island um, in Puerto Rico. And if you've never been, uh, when, when COVID releases, you should really go. It's a beautiful place. Get beyond San Juan. Let me encourage you to do that and go further into the island. There is much, much more to see and experience. Well, while we were there in Puerto Rico, uh, a friend of mine who was a colleague, he was our Hispanic pastor and was a part of our worship team and a dear friend of mine, a man by the name of Jonathan Morris, who is a faithful teacher of the gospel today. Uh, Jonathan went with us and on this trip and this team we led, we had opportunity day after day after day to share the gospel. In fact, that's all we did. We'd wake up, we'd have a morning devotion together, we'd pray, and then we'd go out and teach the word of God. That's all we did. And then we'd stop for lunch and then we'd pray again and then we'd go out and continue to proclaim the word of God. And then when we got to dinner, we would pause for dinner and huddle up as a team and encourage each other and pray for each other and eat a really delicious Puerto Rican meal. And then we would go out in the evening and continue proclaiming the, proclaiming the word of God until about 10 p.m. Now on this particular trip, we were only there for seven days, but every day that we had, we had an opportunity to proclaim the gospel and to preach the gospel consistently. So much so that in one week's time, my friend Jonathan Morris led 36 people to Christ Jesus our Lord. Jonathan had an opportunity to share about that when he got back to the church. And everybody was heralding Jonathan. They were proclaiming Jonathan. They were declaring Jonathan as good and as righteous and this incredible preacher of the word. And when he had his chance to stand before the church, this is what he said to them. He said, all I did was share the gospel. All I did was share the good news of Jesus Christ. And so it is Christ Jesus, our Lord, who deserves all the praise. You see, when we think about our own lives and the opportunities that we have, because we have opportunities daily, are we prepared to share the gospel consistently? So much so that it becomes a daily part of our vernacular. Paul goes on from there and he gives us in verse two, three ways that we can now apply the word of God to the people around us. He says you can apply the gospel for the purpose of reproof, rebuke, and exhort. In other words, as pastors and elders and teachers, we need to know the condition of the flock. You see, there are going to come times where the people of God and those around us will need to be rebuked for their wrong beliefs or for their ungodly lifestyle. 
In fact, we see Paul address this with the church when speaking to the church at Corinth and also speaking to the church at Galatia. He also tells us that there are going to be times where people will need to be reproved or they will need to be corrected gently. You see, when it comes to correction and when it comes to reproof, we need to realize that as believers in the word, there are going to be times where we will need to help get people back on the right track. You see, this, this reproof, this, this rebuke, all of this is a part of what can be called church discipline. And so hopefully by God's grace, as we gather together on a weekly basis, we should see a little bit of this, a little bit of this done every week as your pastor and also our teachers of the Bible continue to faithfully teach and proclaim the word of God. This is known as formative discipline. This is where the Bible does what the Bible does, and it corrects us when we wander away from the very will of God. But at the same time, there are going to be times where as teachers and pastors and elders, we're going to be called upon to encourage the flock with the word of God. You see, today, more than ever, people are facing fear. Fears of unknown, fears of unrest, fears of uncertainty, which leads to anxiety and therefore brings about heavy burdens. And so this should be a time where we are able to now apply biblical truth in order to edify and build up the saints who are suffering. You see, the scope of the Bible is so amazing that we can even use it to address all kinds of people in all kinds of ways who are dealing with all kinds of situations. So when we use the Bible to rebuke, when we use the Bible to reprove, or better yet, when we use the Bible to exhort, we need to make sure that as believers in Christ, we do so in a way that is both Christ-centered and also filled with grace. Because at the same time, we may hear the word spoken over us and maybe we're the ones being corrected. Maybe we're the ones who are being encouraged. And so we need in those moments to receive the word in a manner that is Christ-centered and filled with grace as well. But then notice what Paul says next to Timothy. Notice he then tells Timothy to preach with complete patience. Now, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, I've got that underlined in several of my translations of the Bible. You see, Paul realizes that sanctification or a Christian's growth in Christ likeness is actually a very slow process. And so as teachers, we have to be on guard about the process in order to fight the discouragement that may come when we don't see immediate results from our preaching and teaching. In fact, that's one of the things I encourage a lot of teachers and pastors today is when you walk away from your message, simply walk away from it and praise God for what he's done. But the reality is, even as your pastor today, I struggle with that. Because like our, our staff today, we want to see lives changed. We want to see people come to the gospel. We don't want to simply hear, hey, pastor, good game, pat on the back, and then people move about their lives and do what it is they want to do. And so we struggle with this discouragement, struggle with the frustration and the heartache of why are we not seeing more and more people just being encouraged and challenged and changed for the gospel and moving forward in their sanctification. And so it's in these moments I'm reminded of pastors like Charles Simeon. You see, if you don't know who Charles Simeon is, you should. 
He was a pastor who came to be the senior pastor of Holy Trinity Church, a place where no one wanted him there. In fact, there were uh, leaders in their church known as the pew holders who would lock the doors of the pews every Sunday morning in order to keep people from participating in morning worship. And so if you were going to Charles Simeon's church, you knew going into it that the only place for you to stand was along the walls and along the back wall if you wanted to be a part of service. And you had to stand for the entire service. Things got so bad for Charles Simeon that they wouldn't even allow him to preach the evening service at all. They just barred him from the building. And this went on for almost 12 years. Now, I couldn't imagine what that would be like after a day. After one day, you're probably like me. We are frustrated. Imagine doing this week after week after week for 12 years, and yet Simeon remained faithful to the gospel. He remained faithful in boldly proclaiming the word of God, so much so that ultimately he would begin to win the favor of the people and thereby remain their pastor for the next 54 years. And so when asked what was the secret of his patience, he said by remaining in constant prayer and by remaining daily devoted to the word of God. You see, we're living in a time where today more than ever, Christians, we need to practice patience. By the way, don't just start praying for patience. God's not just gonna give you patience. He's gonna give you the opportunity to practice patience. That's how our God works. So in a moment where patience is needed, how do we remain patient today? We do it by abiding in Jesus. We do it by remaining in communion with God. We practice patience by spending unhindered and unhurried time in prayer and in worship and in the very word of God. You see, all of us need to remember the patience that God has shown us and subsequently show that same patience to others. You see, we do this by working the gospel deeply into our hearts by continuing to meditate on the gospel as it continues to just massage and work through our souls and through our lives. Paul then goes from there in verses two through four and he explains to Timothy that he must proclaim this message with teaching. Now this is actually interesting for Paul uh, to note because one of the most famous verses on preaching would now also call for Timothy to teach as well. Now here's the reality. These two pastoral activities actually work together. Preaching is the heralding of the facts while teaching is explaining the facts. So when it comes to our leading through the gospel, we should be people who both herald and explain throughout our message. And so my prayer from this particular text is that we would see a generation of preachers who would preach the word theologically, that we would also see a generation of teachers who would teach the word of God theologically. Why? Because theology matters. Notice what Paul says next in verses three through four. 
He says, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and they will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. You see, more and more, we are going to continue to see people drift away from healthy teaching of the word of God in order to find a teaching that suits their own desires or suits their own passions. And the reality is this should not surprise us. In fact, in Jeremiah chapter five, verse 31, he says, the prophets prophesy falsely and the priests rule at their own direction. My people love to have it so. You see, like with the Old Testament, there are now all kinds of preachers who love to tickle the ears of the people. There are preachers who are now no longer preaching the Bible, rather they are preaching a watered-down gospel that leads people to moralistic therapeutic deism. In other words, they believe in a feel-good God who when called upon as the great genie will give them whatever stuff they so desire. There are also pastors today who sit in our churches and tell us that the Old Testament is no longer relevant, and so you can discard it. There are pastors today who then tell us that the only thing that's needed are the four Gospels, and everything from the Old Testament throughout the New Testament can now be discarded. There are pastors who teach prosperity gospel. There are pastors who teach name it, claim it gospel. And the reality is all of these things, these, these problems, these teachings and preachings, none of them are real because they are not from the word of God. And so as a people of God, we must continue to remain faithful to preaching the truth of God according to his word because there is an absence of it within every single generation that our world has ever seen. So you see, for all of us, all of us need to be better theologians so that we can be better teachers so that we can raise up a generation of better pastors and better elders and better leaders within the church. Paul then gets to verse five with Timothy and once again, he directs his words back to Timothy and says, as for you. Now, Paul will once again call Timothy and us to be different from the standard of the word. So Paul, in recognizing Timothy's challenging setting in Ephesus is now going to give Timothy some new challenges and some new callings in order to prepare for the battles that await him in his ministry at Ephesus. He first tells Timothy, he tells Timothy to be sober-minded. In other words, he tells Timothy to keep a clear head. He tells Timothy to be morally alert and to maintain a coolness and presence of mind in all situations. In other words, Paul in this moment is saying to Timothy, Timothy, don't freak out. You see, as leaders and teachers of the word of God, we cannot lose our heads or panic when we are opposed for our faith or when we become discouraged. We also can't become arrogant people or empty-headed people. Rather, we must be level-headed and maintain a steadiness that should be the mark of all believers. And so the question we have to ask ourselves now is how are we handling and responding to life when it gets hard? I think we can easily see that answer in how we are responding to our current political climate. 
You know, I'm just gonna go out on a limb and say this, and I'm not, this is not accusatory towards anyone in the church. But man, I am at a point where I can't even stand to get on social media anymore. I miss seeing people, uh, pictures of people's families. I miss seeing recipes. I even miss that dumb kitten that kept falling off the TV. If you don't know what I'm talking about, look it up. It's great. I don't like cats, so it makes me laugh every time. I wish and I pray that for every negative political post we see on social media, there would be five or 10 Christians who are proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. Can we, can we maybe steer our platform in that direction to where we are heralding the truth of the word of God? I think our time online would be better spent if we'd spend more time encouraging people with the good news of Jesus Christ. So Paul, coming back to our text, tells Timothy, be sober-minded. The next thing he says to him is this. He says, endure suffering. In other words, Paul's telling Timothy about the call to continue through conflict. You see, as believers in Christ, and for Timothy and for us today, we need to avoid becoming bitter when hardship comes. In other words, when, when we begin facing trials and tribulations, even from within the church, this is not the time to, to simply quit and give up, nor is it the time to respond in violence to the hardships that we are facing. You see, as Timothy has already been told, we are now too also being called to share in suffering as a good soldier. This takes us back to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3. You see, in other words, as believers in Christ, when things get hard, or as believers in Christ, when things around us change, or as believers in Christ, when we don't agree with one another, this is not the time where you can simply pick up your ball and go home because it got hard. Rather, we need to stay in together as one. We need to re-engage one another for the sake and the cause of the gospel, and we need to continue to stay the course. You see, the truth is that Christians who desire to obey Jesus Christ will inevitably face hardships. And so when we face them, my prayer is that it would lead us back to the word and back into prayer and lead us away from despair. Paul continues with Timothy and he says to Timothy, Timothy, do the work of an evangelist. Now, Paul was probably not thinking of the office or the position of, of the evangelist here. Rather, the emphasis here was more on the work. And so Paul's focus for Timothy was on the proclamation of the gospel. You see, Paul wanted Timothy to continue in reaching the unbelieving world with the good news of Jesus Christ. So you see, like Timothy today, all of us are called to spread the word of God. We see this in Matthew chapter 28, Acts chapter 4, and again in Acts chapter 8. So whether it is in a one-on-one -on -one conversation, or whether it's in our gospel communities, or whether it's in the public proclamation to a group of people, evangelism is work, and that work is worthy. You see, spreading the gospel will not always be easy. Spreading the gospel is going to take hard work. It takes hard work to see people come to faith in Christ. 
This is why Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 9 that he was looking for more workers in the field because there were so few of them. Now notice when you read Matthew chapter 9, notice that Jesus did not tell them to pray for half-hearted slackers. Rather, Jesus wanted hard-working believers who possessed the effort and the energy needed to work the field. And so like the farmer, we need to keep sowing. We need to keep plowing every day if we want to see fruit. We need to keep planting seeds and then pray for God to send the rain. And so we have to ask ourselves at this point, are we prepared to put in the work to see people come to faith in Christ. Paul then tells Timothy to fulfill your ministry. You see, in this final challenge from Paul, we see a summary of Timothy's calling. Paul is now urging Timothy to continue in his work until it was completed. And so Timothy had been called to ministry, and now Paul was both reminding him of that call, but then charging him to finish what it was that Christ had already begun in him. Now, simply put, I love what Nicholas Zinzendorf says about this. Uh, Nicholas Zinzendorf was a missionary in the 18th century, and he said it best this way. He said, for the believer, you were called to preach the gospel, die, and be forgotten. In other words, we are called to complete our assignment and then go home to our Savior. You see, the truth is we need to consistently pursue each of these challenges and each of these tasks by God's grace. If we want to be faithful until the end, then we need to recognize that there are no shortcuts in the middle. We then get to verses six through eight. And quickly here, Paul now closes out his charge by taking the time to reflect on his own ministry. You see, Paul here speaks of dying and departing. He says that I am already being poured out as a drink offering. Now, Paul here is speaking of this particular moment as if the process had already begun. Now, the image that we now have from Paul is actually drawn from the Old Testament sacrificial system that we see in Exodus 29, Leviticus 23, Numbers 15, and again in Numbers 28. You see, it was during this sacrificial uh, system, there was a ritual that involved the sacrificial lamb where wine was poured out at the base of the altar. And so Paul, in this moment, in thinking upon the Old Testament text, may have been referring to the very death that he was expecting. You see, Paul, as a Roman citizen, knew that he could not nor would not be crucified. And so he anticipated being beheaded. You see, upon looking at his own life, Paul realized that his ministry for the glory of God, like Christ Jesus, was being poured out. You see, this should lead us to question our own lives and do some self-reflection. You see, when it comes to our life or when our time comes, will people be able to look upon us and say of us, he poured out his life? Will they be able to say that of me? Will they be able to say that of you? Paul then goes on to say that the time of my departure has come. Now, if you underline in your Bible, I would underline this phrase because the word departure here is actually used in Greek literature for the loosening of a ship from its moorings or a soldier loosening the stakes of his tent. I mean, this is actually a beautiful image if you really begin to think about it. 
Paul has in his mind a ship lifting anchor, tossing aside the ropes and sailing to a better place beyond the horizon. You see, this is true for all of us today as believers in Christ. We will never really die. We simply depart. And so we should find comfort in Paul's words here. You see, when we depart, we are better off. So as believers, we should long for the far country that is far better. In fact, I would encourage you to consider Paul's words in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17, where he says, for this slight momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Again, in Romans chapter 8, verse 18, we read, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. In fact, in reading these words as well, Charles Spurgeon said it himself. He said, to come to thee is to come home from exile, to come to land out of the raging storm, to come to rest after long labor, to come to the goal of my desires and the summit of my wishes. You see, both Spurgeon himself, Paul himself, they knew and understood that to be with Christ is and always will be far better. So then we get to verse seven and Paul now looks back on his life with triumph. He says of his own life that he has fought the good fight. You see, Paul is a warrior. Paul stood before Felix. He stood before Agrippa. He stood before Roman officials and he did so with courage It was Paul who, by the grace of God, endured riots in Ephesus. He endured opposition in Corinth, and he endured all kinds of struggles throughout his missionary journeys. So could you just imagine for a moment, as Paul is writing these words to Timothy, could you just imagine for a moment the joy on his face as he thought of the battles that he had endured? And then he says... I have finished the race. Now again, pay attention to these words. Notice that Paul doesn't say he won. You see, Paul's goal was not to win. Christ has already won. Paul's goal was simply to finish. You see, all of us today have a race to run. And so the question we have to ask ourselves is, will we run the race that God has set before us? Or will we quit before it is finished? Paul then says to to Timothy, he says, I have kept the faith. Again, Paul here is emphasizing the need for sound doctrine, the need for sound theology. You see, Paul was a guardian of the gospel, and so he held on to the truth and passed it on to Timothy and to others as well. well. So when we read Paul's words, we need to realize that we too have a fight to endure. We too now have a race to run. And yes, like Paul and like Timothy and the saints before us, we have a treasure to guard. And so are we ready to take on the mantle and continue to preach the gospel. That was Paul's goal. You see, you see that when you get to verse eight, you see this final image and analogy. 
that Paul gives us. He gives us the image of a crown. Now here Paul uses an athletic analogy of the garlands won by the Greeks in sports an item that was greatly prized by these athletes. And so Paul is now speaking not of that crown, but of a crown that is of greater worth, one that will one day be received by all who believe in Christ Jesus our Lord. But then notice what Paul says about how and with whom he received the crown. He refers to Jesus here as the righteous judge. You see, Paul had already been declared righteous by the righteous judge. And so now he awaits this crown of righteousness, which can better be described as the permanent state of righteousness when he is in glory with Christ Jesus our Lord. Think about this for a moment in terms of the context of Paul. You see, Nero was about to declare Paul guilty and then condemn him to death. But Jesus, the righteous judge, had declared Paul righteous and was about to declare Paul righteous for all eternity. And yet in true fashion, notice how Paul ends, verse 8. He says, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Paul facing death did not want to miss an opportunity to make much of Jesus Christ and the gospel. And so he reminds Timothy and reminds us today that this gift and this crown is for all those who believe. You see, the unbelievers in our world dread the second coming of Christ. But for us as believers today, we should long for the day that Jesus Christ comes again And if he tarries and calls us home to glory before then, then we should long for the day where we are reunited with our Savior and Lord. And so we have to ask ourselves as believers, do we long for Christ? Do we long for the return of the King? You see, Paul's words here in verses 1 through 8 should keep us focused. They should keep us running the race and in the end, when we finished, help us to see and realize that in that moment, there will be Jesus. The reality is we are getting closer. So if I could paraphrase Paul to Timothy for a moment, keep running, keep fighting. You're almost there. Keep guarding the gospel. There is a day that is coming where we will be face to face with our Lord. We will see and touch his nail-scarred hands. We will look deeply into his eyes and by his grace, we will hear him say, well done. And on that day, we will not regret fighting On that day when we are face to face with our Lord, we will not regret running the race. On that day, we will not regret enduring for his name. And so until that day, 
my prayer is that we would remain faithful. We would stay grounded in the word. We would run with endurance. And until the day, may we continue to preach the gospel. Let's pray together.